0: In an increasingly complex world, Greif Philanthropic Solutions is proud to sponsor HAT Radio and the one and only Avram Rosenzweig. No one is better than Avram at simplifying the art of communication, providing inspiration, and unifying people of all backgrounds. GPS is there to help you navigate the charity landscape. Avram is there to help you navigate life.
1: inside my living room share a little talk our roads walked and lessons learned keeping the flame of faith burning I want to know where you've been what you found out spread some light in the darkness spread it all about in the height in the height
2: And welcome back to Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig, and I'm delighted to have you as my listener. This is episode 43, and today with me uh, is an old friend, an old family friend, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff Budd. Nice, yeah, to, nice to be here, Avram. The audience is nuts <laughs> about you, I feel Jeff.
3: I feel like I'm in your father's office sitting across from him again. Does that a little, happen a lot? No, not too many times, but it happened. <laughs> it, it happened. You remind me so much of him.
2: Yeah? Do yeah, yeah? Yeah. He was a handsome bloke. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once I went into an old folks home with my, with my dad, and this older lady comes over to me. You know, older people, they'll say whatever's on their mind. So she comes over. She goes, oh, dear. She goes, is that your father? I go, yes, he is. And my dad's there with me. She goes, you know, he's much more handsome than you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love old folks, you know? Oh, uh, geez. Yeah. God bless them, right? Yeah, God bless all so them. So Jeff Budd is on uh, Hat Radio today for a few reasons. Number one, he's from Kitchener, which is where I come from. And you still live there. Yes, I do. You still live there. I still live there. Now, what your family did was paramount in my family's lives, which was you owned a clothing store. It was called Bud's. That's right. Right? Bud's department store. Bud's department store. <laughs> That's right. And it had everything, including a pneumatic tube. That's right. Where you sent up the. Change right? You send up the money, or mice,
3: or frogs, whatever. Oh, no, whatever, no, no. Whatever like they a, wanted to, I, to, scare I, the women, to scare the women.
2: They would do that. <laughs> Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny, I guess. Yeah. But don't tell vegans, right? right. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> um Also, you are very much involved in hockey, especially hockey in Israel. I was much more, more involved. so. you Used yeah, to be, right? used to be. Yeah.
3: yeah, I'm still a hockey fan, and. I spent six years at the Canada Center in Matula coaching kids and and working with the Israeli Junior National Team back in the 90s. And we even brought Roger Nielsen. Yes. Before he passed away, we brought him
2: over three times. Rest in peace, Roger. Yeah, Roger. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that. And the other thing that we're going to talk about is a very challenging time in your life. When you were nine years old, uh, you were sexually abused by a teacher. Yes. And that went on for about a year. Yes. Uh when you were 35 you hit rock bottom as you call it and you decided that you were going to start talking about it and you did and you went for help thank God you did yeah. and this fellow who committed this atrocity was arrested and we will get to that as sure. well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so before we do that, I do want to uh give a shout out. Uh there do you know that there are 600,000 podcasts out there did you know that no i didn't know that do you listen to podcasts i listen to yours <laughs> you're I a have, good man i have been yes wh- wh- which ones have you listened to
3: which shows i, I, I can't remember the, the exact titles but i've I, I get them on my facebook page and i let's look into listen to the last one you're a good man yeah of course i always listen. you're you're my rabbi's son what am i supposed <laughs> to, to listen, yeah, right? I gotta
2: listen yeah you know that's what i love about you jeff like you are so <laughs> devoted to my parents even after their demise absolutely you know you don't find that very much uh, they were they were
3: let's see you know your father converted my mother in, in our their, house in, in your house and i was there and he married them yes in, so I, my parents had a wedding in the rabbi's house that's I mean right. that's pretty big stuff when you think about it yeah and he bar mitzvahed my uh father my uncles he married my Uncle Stan, my Aunt Esther. He bar mitzvahed me and my brother. He taught me and my brother, your mother. Uh, she, was a nutty, a, she was a nutty teacher, eh? She was great. She taught me the Shabbos <laughs> Kiddush. She taught me the Shabbos Did she? Kiddush. Do yeah, you know it?
2: Yeah. Off by heart, no. But any I do of it? it? Do you know any of it? Sure, I do it. No, every let show. me hear a few like. <laughs> one line,
3: one line. Baruch HaTanah Melech Halam. Bray, Priha,
2: <laughs> You look at you, you Taurus scholar, you. I'm the one that goes to shul. I don't, I don't usually lead the services. I hear you, buddy. I hear yeah. you. So, listen, before we dive in, I do want to give a shout out uh, to a, a wonderful show that I've been listen, listening to. It's called the Ezra Klein Show, and of course, it's hosted by. As reclined, excellent, makes sense, eh? Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a show for people who like to think deeply about the world. You do, right? Absolutely, you do. Have you ever studied philosophy? Yeah, you know, I studied it with your father. We did Jewish philosophy after our, after
3: the bar mitzvah. You had Sundays with the rabbi yeah. till I was eighteen. Yeah, and he hit every. He was not afraid. Whatever was the topic of the day, he hit it. Uh, back then, it was you know it was communism, so it was better better he always argued with us we always used to say better dead than red right he yes. said no 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 better red than dead you gotta live that's what he said that's what he said oh very absolutely, nice absolutely yeah and, okay, and good. whatever controversy
2: was of the day he would he would hit us with it I'm gonna learn things about my dad from you today you might Ezra Klein not only prepares incredibly well for each episode but also has a knack for asking great follow-up questions that pushes guests to provide additional depth and share real-life examples um, there are some really good ones. Some of uh, some favorites are Tyler Cohen and Yuval Noah Harari. So have a listen to The Ezra Klein Show. I also want to mention, and I've been doing this for the last few weeks, there's a lot of anti-Semitism out there. Agreed? Agreed. Do, do you experience any anti-Semitism in Kitchener? I, I More so when I was a kid.
3: I think going through high school and, and things... I was always known as the Jew like we had to go through uh, Merchant of Venice. Yes. Or in grade 9 where we and we fought that. And of course the Jew was always the guy who read Shylock's part. Yeah. I was right. told I was told I had a world religions teacher that told me that the Jews should forgive the Nazis. Oh, really? Yeah. Absolutely. What did you say? I, I said why should what are you talking about? I was first of all, I was in shock. I went to your father. I always went to your father with everything. He, the same teacher, said to us one day, "I'm going to be Jesus Christ tomorrow, and you all have to prove that I'm not God." Yeah, you told me this. Yes. So after an hour on the phone with your father the night before, I had him under his desk the next day. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> uh, what, what was this thing about forgiving the Nazis? Yeah, he 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 was a Mennonite. He was a he was. You know the Mennonites; they're nice people. They really believe in that forgiveness thing. And he, he he actually went down to the store to talk to my parents afterwards. He felt bad because there were Germans in my class, and they would all say, "Well, my opa didn't do it." You know, the, they they didn't teach the Holocaust in he district. None, no, never, no, never, because they didn't want to offend the German kids. Yeah, right. So I, I I would live through that. I used to have somebody throw a penny at me every day in in uh, in the lunchroom. I never knew who it was, but it would always hit me. I and had then, that too. Me too. Yeah, yeah see? Yeah. Uh, at KCI. At KCI.
2: Yeah. Did you ever get into fights?
3: I almost did when I was in grade six. The first time I ever experienced it, someone started calling me a dirty Jew. And yeah. it was a kid that moved to town. I'd been in class with all these kids my whole lives. And they used to come over for Friday night dinner. So I never experienced it in, in that public school. But this one kid called me a dirty Jew. And they all yelled at him. And the next day, he was apologizing. Oh, Really? Me yeah
2: I, I had a buddy i told this on another podcast his name was helmet and we bought hamsters together <laughs> you know and my hamster gave birth that night to 12 little baby hamsters oh but it ate them all oh no hamsters protect their young by eating them i and, had hamsters too did, did, did yeah. you have babies
3: i yeah we did we gave them to the neighbors we had bunny rabbits did you my mom had bunny I mean, they kept having babies and what'd you name them do you remember we had one named Thumper. I remember. Yeah, thumper. they're all Thumper. Thumper and Thumper died in the pool. <laughs> really? Drowned? You rabbit? Drowned? drowned? Yeah. I, my mom didn't tell me that till later in life. She didn't, "I didn't tell you when he was a kid. When oh, you were a kid, but couldn't he, swim, eh? He drowned in the pool. That's yeah. tragic.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well, we should do like a memorial for right. a Thumper. So, uh, helmet, and I bought uh, hamsters, and then one day we're walking home from school, and he turns to me and he said, uh, uh, "Hitler didn't finish his job." Whoa, and I honestly, I didn't even know what he meant. So that was that. He came back the next day he actually apologized. Apparently, his parents had told him to apologize, which I don't entirely get because where did he learn that? That's the thing. I had kids in grade seven once they th- they were now
3: these were young kids, grade seven. They took the Queen's picture down and put up Adolf Hitler's picture. They oh, thought that was funny. But I don't think they really knew, yeah, that th- I don't think they certainly didn't know i was jewish because i was in a new school and nobody yep. nobody really knew except for a few
2: people that's a thing right and
3: they didn't but i sure as hell knew what it was no
2: i hear you but listen we have to be careful as jews and this is kind of what I, what I want to get at before we dive into your life is that we have to be careful about what anti-semitism is and what it is not like i'll be hanging out with some people downtown i've done a lot of work with the homeless people living outside And they, to ingratiate themselves, to me, they'll say, well, you know, it's great, man, that there's so many Jewish lawyers, right? You guys are really smart. You have lots of money. I don't take that as anti-Semitism. I don't either. I get that all the time. Right. Especially in a small town. They They don't. don't mean it
3: uh a lot of times they you know well you're so you guys are so smart you're always doctors and lawyers and they really don't mean it or you have a lot of the money i know when the money thing when it is anti-semitism and when it's an innocent thing that's exactly right difference
2: that's exactly right you know you know so yeah uh, people say that we're really smart and we're really accomplished and i quite frankly take that as as thank you yeah you know i know a lot of dopey jews so i'll be honest with you <laughs> i've come across a few what, in my life right. especially like t- playing hockey <laughs> yeah get right. your bell rung a few times yeah you do right. but uh it's really important that we recognize that because uh because someone harbors a stereotype that doesn't necessarily mean they're a racist or they're uh, a, a, you know an anti-semite and uh t- If we don't recognize that, right, then we've become way too defensive. And I think we live in a time, tell me if you agree with this, I think we live in a time where we actually have the luxury to try to make friends, right? Yes. There's enough people out there who do truly love the Jewish people, who like the Jewish people, or who are open to meeting a Jew and knowing more about who we are. Or they love us so much they want us to be in
3: Israel where we're all going to the very we have a lot of christian people that come to our walk for israel right and they love us and they love israel and we love to love them and it's great to have support for israel but we know that they want us to be there at the end of days and to convert right they love Look, us to death <laughs> our jewish brothers <laughs> that's right yes they support us they come out with checks uh i was just at uia and they tell
2: me there's always a good group of christians to support Israel, you see, and yeah, and we'll, we'll take their
3: support. We'll take their support exactly. But
2: Jeff, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if you've thought about this. I haven't really worked it through. Why is there a group of people who are convinced that because I do this, you should be doing this, and then there's another group of people who say, "I do this." To each their own. You do what you do. I do what I do. Jewish people, we are we do not proselytize, and we no. rarely ever have in history. Right. That's right. That's the difference. But why? Yeah.
3: Because if you're. To be Jewish, you have to be born Jewish, or you have to convert. And coming from someone who converted, it's not an easy process. I mean, it's easier today, they do easier conversions, but you have to pick it. I mean, you're born it, you pick it. Other, the other big religions, it was, you know, convert or die, Muslim and Christian. Right. they, it, You know, that's just the way it was. It's, for some reason, we've made it this many, <laughs> all of these many years. Yeah. We've with, made it this far. With a very, very few, with very few numbers. Minuscule. I don't know why everybody hates us, or not everybody, but I don't know why people hate us so much. We're such a small little group. Why,
2: why do you think there's anti-Semitism? Why do you think Jews are so hated?
3: I think some of it comes. I don't know if the right word is jealousy, but you know we're the chosen people, right? So do we you are, believe that that we're the chosen people? I I, I don't know. That's what I've been raised to, to believe. Yeah. Um. Coming, if I think back on what your father would say, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> chosen to what? Uh, that's what I. Uh, that's what we ask sometimes. Is this is what I'm really chosen for. I mean, you have the Holocaust. You have all sorts of things. And you know, yeah, you is, chosen, is, is, it, yeah, you get chosen, man. Exactly. Yeah, you get chosen. Exactly. What am I? You know, Israel. It's like we can't get a peace, a peace of peace of quiet. These people are anti-Israel, anti-Zionist. It's like, what do you want from us? Leave us alone already. We got this little piece of land, in this whole great world. Can't you
2: leave us alone already? Right. Right. That's a- enough.
0: That's
3: Have you ever
2: like. dealt with an individual who seemingly was anti-Semitic and explained to them your perception of who we actually are as a people? <sighs> do you take time to do that at all? No, I've never. Um, does your Jewishness come up in Kitchener? Of course. It does? People people know, it's just funny. I was
3: just at, at, at UIA and we're setting up a meeting between Nikki and the mayor. And I was telling them how the council had passed a resolution condemning um, the, the, the legislation in Quebec that outlaws religious wear. And they all come up to me to tell me, because as if I'm the only, like I'm the yeah. spokesperson for the, yeah. it's very nice. And it, it's very, but anything Jewish comes up, they always come to me. Yeah, right. Right, Because right. The, the, we've been around you know, forever and everybody knows. But I think, I think my grandfather changed our name because of it. We used to be Budovich.
2: Budovich. Yeah.
3: And I think in Kitchener, they changed the name to Bud. I think part of it was anti-Semitism
2: At that time? I it, think it's, so. It's very possible. The 40s? Yeah. My, my dad was born a Budovic, but by the time he was two, he was a Bud. So when you go to the fun- cemeteries, you probably see Budovich just on the stones, right? Oh, I see no Bud. It's Bud. It's all Bud. I was just there. They're at Bethsetic, believe it No, the or reason it. I asked that is yeah. because I've gone to a number of different cemeteries where my family's buried, and one of them will be Rosenzweig with a Z. One will be with an S. One of them even will be like the Polish with the J. Oh, really? Yeah, Rosenzweig or oh. what have you. So, that yeah, the spellings are different. Depending on where you come from, maybe how you arrived in the country. You have a great name, by the way. Jeff Budge. Like, who has two names with one syllable each? You know how many times
3: I hear it? And when I cross the border, it's always like, hey, this Bud's for you. Is that, they, is that what they say? Everybody's got their Bud joke, and I've heard them all, and I don't even laugh anymore because there isn't one that you can tell me that I haven't heard. What's another Bud joke? Uh, this Bud's for you. That's a good one. Uh, I always thought I should open up a pot store. Like, buds buds, buds? buds for you. I mean, I have buds. the perfect. Now that it's legal, it come on. I mean, this is the perfect name. Buds, 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 buds. buds, buds, buds. Yeah. <laughs> and paraphernalia. And paraphernalia. <laughs> I don't think my dad and uncle would go for that too much. They would like. That. I always thought that that would be a great new venture for buds. Right,
2: right. So this is interesting what you're telling me, um, because what you're saying is you you live in Kitchener, which is an hour west of Toronto. There's probably now about a quarter million people. Combine that with Waterloo. Probably it's probably close to half a million. But with the, Waterloo. Waterloo region, yeah, yeah like
3: Cambridge, Twin Waterloo, cities. Kitchener, yeah, it's all sort of the same. Is man. it
2: difficult or is it simple to get around? Like Toronto's difficult. Oh, it's way easier.
3: I came in today. I was on Bathurst. I'm like, how do you guys put up with this every day? It, it's it's nuts. just oh, it's, it's nuts, ridiculous. It is. It's Kitchener. Crazy. When I, li- I lived in Toronto, when I moved back from Israel, I lived here for 15 years. And when I moved back to Kitchener, I showed up everywhere 25 minutes early. Did you? (laughs) Everything's five minutes away, It's gonna be hard to get around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're thinking like Toronto. Right. And I was
2: always early. Everything is like literally five minutes away. So you have a life there. Absolutely. You live in Waterloo, Mm -hmm. right? You have friends there? Yeah, I have friends. Friends, like who's your best friend? Who's a good friend? My best friend
3: in this world is is Mark, Mark Benjamin, but he's in Toronto.
2: Is he a good guy? How do you
3: know him? Since we were kids, our fathers went to camp. Which camp? Timberline. Oh, Camp Timberline. And we—I've known him. I've known him my whole life. I would consider him a lot of my camp friends who live in Toronto. There's yeah. uh, Seth, will, and and Ruden, Eric Goldberg, Eric Knopping. They're in the states. I would consider them to be some of my closest friends. Camp buddies are huge, man.
2: Yeah. And, Listen,
3: and benj and i have known my whole—I can't remember not knowing him.
2: Uh, it's wonderful to have friends like that. Yeah. A few uh, weeks uh, ago, we did a show with um, Michael Soberman do you know michael from march of the living i know michael so so much. michael's now the chair of camp kadima and he Is worked he? there he went there for like 15 years he lives and breeds camps and he sure. talk about his camp buddies they're everything to him yeah they, everything
3: they are the world to me and they got me through what i you know did they help yeah absolutely i mean yeah. they didn't abandon me when i yeah. we can get into that later but uh, yeah those, so 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 those guys
2: they I sort of disappeared for a while. Well, I imagine. And they stuck with me through all of this. So here's the thing that I wonder about having left Kitchener when I was 13. I came to Toronto. I went to a private Jewish school. For all intents and purposes, I rarely went back, just on a weekend to be with Mm -hmm. my parents. But I really did leave the city when I was 13. But mm-hmm. like my fundamental years were growing up there. Mm-hmm. And I have marvelous memories of the synagogue. Uh, you know, we used to play ball hockey or floor hockey. Irv Sternberg. Remember Irv? Absolutely. And hey. I, I did
3: um, youth basketball at the show for a couple of years. Did I'm, you on, ran I'm it? on the board. Yeah, I ran it. Yeah. I ran it. Yeah. And I'm I'm hoping to take the kids skating once a year. We go out skating. We had a Jewish goalie on the Rangers. Who was I, it? I can't remember his name. It was like four or five years ago. But he came out on Purim. We rented the rink, and he came out and sk- skated cool. with all of us. It was kind of neat. You
2: want to hear something funny? My yeah. son and I just went to a Leaf game. Yeah. They were playing Boston. Well, we had Larry Tannenbaum seats, like right behind Mike Babcock. Yeah. So we were all over the TV, and we still have people coming up to you. Oh, I saw you at the game. Can I be your best friend? Can you yeah. get me those tickets? Yeah, 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 So we're walking out. We go the wrong door, which I, I'm I'm pretty dopey. And uh, we go to the parking lot where the NHL guys park, so uh, uh, Cujo walks Mm, through, mm. and we say hello to Cujo. I thank him so much for all of the entertainment he gave us for years. His response was, I worked really hard. I said, I'm sure you did. Then he said it to me again. I worked really hard. I said, I bet you you did. Somebody said to me, by the way, I asked someone at Major Hockey, where Mm. my son gets a skate sharpened, I said, why did he say that twice, right? He said, read his book. I said, what is it? He goes, he had a very difficult childhood.
3: Uh, some of the Theo Fleury Sheldon Kennedy I don't know if that was the case with Cujo I'm, I'm not, not a, sure yeah. but maybe but I know with was Sheldon Kennedy and sexual abuse uh, yep same thing uh. so,
2: so then who walks through Zach Hyman Zach, so, Who's who's Jewish? Yeah. So what do you say to Zach? So I'm thinking real quickly, and I go, hey, did you go to Shul on the high holidays? <laughs> he stops, he looks at me, he goes, no, nah, but I should have. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that was always the thing with Jewish sports players. Yeah. That yeah. my, my my dad would rate them. Did That's... they go to Shul on Kol Nidre or not? Did they play or did they stay?
2: Or right. Did, right? So, and then you if, get kind of pissed off that they didn't go to Shul, if... right? Yeah,
3: and you're like, but wait a second—the guy's getting ten million dollars a year to play hockey. What is he supposed to? He can't right, right.
2: call Nidre, like whatever. Yeah, uh, you put Kol Nidre aside for a couple of years. Yeah, it'll, it's not going anywhere, right? <laughs> no, no, he'll no. be back. So that my question about Kitchener is, having left when I was thirteen, in my mind, it's this is a bit of dramatic, but it's 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 like a ghost place to me now. Because all the people who were there, all the memories I have of my father walking into the synagogue and my family coming for a celebration, and you guys and all the people I know, they're all gone. Most of them. There's only a few of us left. So, so it's like, to me, it's almost like a bit of an empty shell. Is that too much? I mean, mm-hmm. like I wonder, how do you, why do you live it's, there still?
3: Because I'm from there, yeah. I'm born there, I'm raised there. It's home, look, I lived in Israel, I lived in Matula, I lived in Toronto for many years. Toronto was a little bit too much for me with a lot of my um, everything I went through I did some substance abuse and this is not a good place to be if this is there's a lot of it there's a lot of it around so I needed I really needed to get out of dodge and move <laughs> yeah for me it was really literally it was a, sort of a I don't want to say life and death but it was pretty close you're like I had to make a move and and to the quiet city of Kitchener so you're happier there I think so you are yeah, yeah. I, I listen I miss Toronto but I miss my friends in Toronto, but Jesus, coming in today, I don't miss the traffic. Traffic's nuts. One bit. This is like...
2: My dad told me when we were kids that uh, he had a heli car. Right, when you get stuck in traffic, you just press a button and the helicopter goes up and he would fly above it. We all believe this, right? I thought he had a Delta 88. Well, no, he didn't. He used or, to drive Fords. Or,
3: no, he had a, He did have a Chevy. Maybe later there on. Was a, there was a blue Chevy. That's the one I picture you in. I guess probably that was... <laughs> you, were, you already moved on, but that's the one he had when he told us all the stories about you. Okay. So that's the one I pictured him.
2: You're so in. I told my son about the helicar and that's what we're still waiting on because the traffic here is nuts. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we kinda we kinda we, we, we covered your early years. You used to drink beep, didn't you?
3: Yes. That yeah, was. my mother adored beep. So I was over at your parents' house yeah. for a Talmatora dinner or something, and your father brought out beep and seltzer water. <laughs> you remember those you buy it in a case yes. with the spritzers? And yeah. he said, Look, you get C plus. So I went home. I made my mom go out and buy a case of seltzer <laughs> water and beep. I thought, you know, they have SodaStream now. I was like, your dad was way, way ahead of his he time. Your advanced. mom and your
2: dad, way ahead of his time.
3: <laughs> he was making his own soda way back in the,
2: the God, that had to be the 80s, probably right. the 70s when you were a kid. Right. I wish we have monetized that. That would be nice. Yeah. I mean, look at SodaStream now. That's Oh, no, that's
3: huge. I don't even think you can buy those old. Like the those spritzers, the spritzer. you can. I've, can seen, you really? I've seen them around, really? I've certainly
2: seen them in vintage environments. I've never seen them, but I'm pretty sure you can still. Yeah, that, those were beautiful bottles, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, some vintage stuff. Yeah, remember vintage hockey sticks? Absolutely, the I wooden have, ones. I used to have a wooden straight stick when I started. That's right. Hockey. And you take a look at Gordie Howe, and, and all these guys used to play 20s, 30s, 40s. Their equipment was paper thin, firstly, and yeah. the sticks were straight, straight right? No curve on That's them. That's what I had. But now now you buy a stick it's like a couple hundred bucks every time they break one your heart goes off. <laughs> oh, I know it's like, I know oh my god I know I don't it's, know. It's, we we used to play uh, pay I think 12 15 bucks was expensive for a stick Probably. right, yeah, right? Yeah. Do you remember what kind of hockey stick you used when I you used were I used to kid? use
3: the um, it was Cooper and, no it was a bauer and it was the wendell clark curve that's what i used nice. older in life the younger one i used to wear a kitchener hockey stick remember kitchener, those kitchener you,
2: brand and there was
3: a hespler one too yeah there was a hespler i think wayne gretzky had something he to do with that right but there was a right. kitchener brand we all played right. with kitchener sticks yeah that's my right. dad we still have a little one left from when i was a kid that's
2: a kitchener at, at home i that's, show it to my niece and that's nephew very when they cool come over. so one of the things uh, that struck me as well was your closeness to to my parents, <laughs> who were the rabbi and the Rebetzin. And I, uh, you're incredibly devoted to their memory, to who they were. <sighs> they were... You know how Chabad has Schneerson? We had your father. Chabad is, is Lubavitch. It's right. a sect within Judaism. Right. And they had their rabbi. They yeah. have
3: their rabbi. We had ours. That's, oh. that's how I look at it. That's how I look back on it. Um, he was so dedicated. And your mother. I mean, they both... I mean, they looked after us like we were their kids if you yeah. had a problem you called them yeah he called and he'd spend I, 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 numerous times he'd spend on the phone with me hours into the night telling me if you had a problem at school what to do who to do it i remember um there was a thing with nazi war criminals in canada it was back it was in the early 80s mm. and they actually brian larooney did a a a a uh, I don't know what you call it. I had a convened a council to go look into it. There was a white paper or something. Anyways, I wrote Brian. Mo- your dad was talking about this and how they were in Kitchener and this. so I took it upon myself to write the prime minister. Everyone said, yeah, he's never going to." Well, then he wrote me back. So I went straight to your father's office. I said, "Look, he wrote uh-huh. me back and he told me he thought he was pretty proud of me for that one." That's cool. Good He was for pretty you.
2: proud of it. Yeah. yeah. You know who was like that? My mother was like that. She used to she used to write uh, journalists she wrote the queen she castigated the queen she goes why aren't you visiting israel <laughs> doesn't you know the the warm relations that your father had with
3: the non-jewish community was a big last to this day people still talk about him i was just one of my roles at the shul is because we don't have a rabbi i liaison with the families for funerals. Yes. So I help cause we have so John Feedy used to be the guy in Kitchener at Rat Spectral. Him and your dad were like yeah. this. Yeah. So he's retired. There's a new girl now, Jennifer Foucault, she used to work for Benjamin's actually. But whenever there's a big funeral like Max Norris's son in law passed away. So John Feedy comes up. And how he, old he's, was how old was he when he passed away? Oh he was in his fifties, sixty years old. Young ten, man. Young man yeah. His his son in law Max is around. That's yeah. another one you're asking me. But um, John Feedy still shows up, and he always asks me, tells me stories about Rabbi Rosen. So well, what has, do you do? How are you the liaison? With well, the... if somebody dies, they call me, and what do you do? I call the funeral home. I organize the chevrakedisha. How, do, how I, is that for I, you? I do a tahara. I did my first tahara this year. We should explain what that is. Oh, it's preparing the body to be buried. How was that for you? Uh, interesting. It wasn't. It, I thought it was very loving. That did you it, it's it's you know it's a small community everybody knows everybody he was a friend he would have done it for me and we all gathered around and you know he wasn't done in some you know we sit with the body the jewish funerals are very different than non-jewish funerals yeah, and the yeah. way we respect the body the way we look after them and it's been a learning curve for me but thankfully i have mark benjamin on speed dial if ever i need anything <laughs> yeah but organizing the tahara the minion the, the, uh, the yurt site minion some of the food and making sure it's nice
2: it's somebody's got to do it so I, I, I do it it's interesting what were you like right before you walked into the room where the body was <sighs> intrepidation at all <sighs> i was a little nervous because especially because it was a friend you knew him but you know what you know what i learned there really is a soul
3: huh. if you've ever seen somebody who's passed yeah it's they're not asleep it's, it's not, not i totally agree it's Jeff. different I mean, I don't know about all the mystical things in the world, but I really do believe that we have a soul. Yeah, you look at them; you know they're dead. He was not. That was not him. He was and not that, there. That was his body, but he wasn't there. That's right. And it's not the same as being asleep.
2: It, it, no, it's not. There's a there's a, a void. The life is void. Life is gone. Yeah, you can see it. That whatever it is that emanates, whatever it is that, that makes us life shine, is that life force, you know, it's it's you can see it's just gone. Gone. Yeah
3: that was the shock that was the thing for me because i don't think i'd really ever seen it really seen a dead person before yeah most of like, us don't. not in person i usually try to avoid it you know whenever well, i go to benjamin's i'm in the basement I'm talking with mark i'm like just make sure i don't nothing i don't want <laughs> to see it i don't want to see it <laughs> and and when my grandmother passed away i wrote her a letter and i wanted to put it in the casket and Ben was like started to go like this and i, I was like no no i don't he's like no no don't
2: worry you won't see anything yeah. she's wrapped in shrouds. you won't see anything well, okay. so, well, like what was the content of the letters oh, i, I love you my
3: bubby was she was her and i were uh, just so close uh it was like a an, i'm normally close she's a beautiful she, woman she cooked for me she went, when i moved to university she bought me a freezer she cooked for me she would stack her freezer with food so that i could come in while she was in florida and get it and when i moved back from israel she was suffering from dementia she'd make her girls that were looking after her cook for me and cook
2: for me and cook for me she just whose mother was this my father's was your dad what was her name
3: helen and she loved you deeply oh my god we were so close she was yeah it was uh, so i wrote her really it was she died from she was 98 it was a dementia it's a long long dementia sucks it's a long long goodbye it's bad it isn't it my dad and my uncle went every single day to the home. They kept her in her home as long as they could. Yeah. And then they put her in a home. They went every single day for dinner. We, they alternate. she was never alone. And yeah. I would go as much as possible. But there was a time when she was in the wheelchair. My dad was wheeling her. And she's like, Jeffy, Jeffy. And then she looked up at my father and said, Who are you?
2: I know. Yeah. yeah that's tragic, isn't yeah. it? That breaks
3: yeah. my heart. Yeah. It's a long, that's a tough. Boy, that's a tough one.
2: I know. I have a buddy whose mother has Alzheimer's, and she is in the worst stages of it, and he can't even visit her. He can mm. barely talk about her. You know, my mother had dementia the last year of her life. I never knew that. Yeah, she did. She was
3: like, I went out with her. I didn't realize how old she was. when I, I, I reconnected with her later in life. I mean, I saw her in Matula one time. I was sitting there as the Canadian. They would introduce me to every mission. And then Yossi Goldberg says, you might know this lady. It's I the mayor up, of Matula. Right. So I looked up, and there was your mother. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. And I, She hung on to me, and she had her second husband at the time. She ignored him.
2: <laughs> she, she,
3: she totally him. She hung on to me. She made me stay with her the whole day. We had lunch. She made her plate of lunch and sat him. On, didn't introduce me to him, nothing. Just gave him some food. Oh, she and must she have sat, adored you. She sat with me the whole time, and then we were at... A fundraiser, do you remember, for Ellie Rubenstein from the, the shul that years ago? You spoke at it. Yeah. yeah. So I saw her again. I went up there. She gave me her phone number, and we reconnected, and we went out for lunch a bunch of times, and she gave me some of her files and stuff. You have great memories, don't you? I, had,
2: I didn't realize how old she was because she was so young at heart. Yeah, she was like she eight, was just, 85 when she, she died. Yeah, but she seemed like she was in her 60s with me. She well, was so... Jeff, I'll tell you an interesting thing. When my mother passed, I was there with her, as was my sister, my niece, a few of us. <laughs> And my mother always blocked age. She never allowed herself to get old. As an example, she wouldn't go in a wheelchair. She did a few times, but mostly not, because she wanted to retain that youthfulness. And, mm-hmm. and she felt as long as she did that, she'd be okay. So she was on her deathbed, and uh, there were minutes left. In front of our eyes, and I don't know if you can relate to this at all, but in front of our eyes, as she was leaving this earth, she turned into an old lady. Really? It, is it? Do, do, you, do you get that at all? I don't know. I, listen,
3: she was always Rebitzin to me. To I always you. called her Rebetzin. Which is a rabbi's wife. T- till the day I, she, I always called her Rebetzin. Even later, I always, uh, I never saw that in her. i, ju- you I would have. I would was tap. so amazed. She, uh, there was a gap between when your father died and when I reconnect when I saw her in Israel and then when I reconnected with her, probably 20 years. Yeah. I, I would say. But I'm telling you, she didn't skip a beat the way we were. No, no. like, It was like I'd seen her yesterday. Yeah. You know? And then we just... She was always talking about the shul. What's going on? With we, you know, She's just... Yeah, yeah. She was lucky to have you. I was glad that we reconnected like that. You but feel like later. she was lucky
2: to have you? Yeah. I, I think I was lucky to have her. No, but do you feel as though she was lucky to have you? Maybe, yeah. She yeah. was. Yeah, I'm she sure. She was. Because how often do you, are you adored by someone the way you adored her? The, I think about it. The
3: time an effort that your parents to be a rabbi in Rabbiton in a small town where there's only one shul the amount of work that, i mean it's not like a job it's just a way of life the lifestyle they, and for 30 years was it 30 years or 30 i don't they know they were there for 36 years so 36 years yeah. that they lived eat brave beth jacob that was it very much and so. all of us yeah so for her to reconnect with someone that she taught i'm
2: sure it was pretty you know, pretty she, neat she probably loved it she probably so your mother's a convert, she mm-hmm. converted to Judaism. Does that play out in your life in any way whatsoever or in the house? Does mm. it ever come up? Is there a part of you uh, which wonders about the Jewish soul versus the not Jewish soul? Does any any of that at all? Listen, we had a, a past rabbi in
3: town that called out some conversions that weren't orthodox but my mother's was orthodox so i've never run it and you know when i moved to israel and you want it to be jew in your card you got to prove it yeah and you got to prove it with a converted mother mm-hmm. so i had to go through the paperwork so they they were checking in on your father on the Beit dean in toronto they checked and checked and checked and it was so it really until this last rabbi sort of started calling people out which i didn't like Mm -hmm. Uh, I understood if you're Orthodox or I understand it, but um, it's never come up. My mom really sort of gave up all of that. What about her
2: parents? Well, her
3: parents, I was really close with them. Well, what did you call them? Grandma and grandpa. Okay. So, but my, my grandfather, her, her father was a world war two vet and he suffered from PTSD and he drank a lot. And he was the sweetest guy in the world. He would take me fishing all the time, but he died when he was 58. I'm sorry. He didn't, And then my other, my grandmother, her mother, she was, I was very close to her. They weren't religious. Like the Christianity for them wasn't, they never went to church. Yeah. There was, you know, and my birthday was on Christmas. So did you celebrate Christmas at all with them? No, it wasn't like you celebrate Christmas, but I would be over at my grandparents on Christmas because it was Christmas and it was my birthday. So I guess we got away with it. I I didn't have to, I didn't have to. I didn't have to go through that hurdle because some families do. Like, there's a lot of holiday trees in Jewish homes these days. Well,
2: to me, that's a score.
3: You had Hanukkah, and I'm sure you got gifts, and you had Christmas, right? Well, my non-Jewish friends were always jealous because Hanukkah was eight days. <laughs> I got gifts eight days, Did and you? I was always the, the, the one Jew, so I would always have to do show and tell, and I would have to tell everybody. I remember going to school with bringing my Tullus and getting up on stage and explaining what it is to be Jewish and talking about Israel and kibbutz see him or something i yeah i was show, i was right? always the only jew in class yeah. right yeah i think you can relate to I that was the, i was right. the only jew at Cortland where i went to do school you, do you remember a guy named dave schneider it brings a bell because he remembers you he's he's a counselor he's a counselor and uh city council he's a radio personality he was on the radio he does the announcer for the rangers and i think what and Whatever public school you went to, he said. Do you know Avram Rosenzweig? I said, of course I know Avram Rosenzweig because he's he's going through the list of Jews oh. that he
2: knows. Oh, anyways, he's. Where did he go to school? Was it Cortland? Or yeah,
3: what? he went to the same. He was whatever public school you went to. He said, I had a, a guy in my class named Avram Rosenzweig, and I think he was the rabbi's son. But
2: he can you hook me up with him? I'd love I'll to try, talk to. Him. I will. I will do that. He's That'd a, be he's, very cool. He's a
3: counselor. He actually, we did. You know, if um, Theo Fleury does this thing every year called the Victor Walk because you go from victim to victor. So a friend of mine... So
2: uh, Theo Fleury was a goalie in the NHL. You no, know, he was a hockey player. He wasn't a goalie. He was a forward. Sorry.
3: He was a forward yeah. and he was... Molested sex- by his coach. He was sexually abused. So he started this thing called the... Vic- you, instead of being a victim, sometimes they call us survivors, which I don't like because that's always been reserved for Holocaust survivors yeah. in my book. Yeah. But what I, but I prefer... He calls it the Victor Walk. So you go from victim to victor. And this guy Dave Schneider did the walk with me as a friend. Did he? Yeah, he was a really he was a radio personality in town, a DJ for many many years, and now he ran for council and he's on the council. Very good. He's a good friend. He's a good guy.
2: Very good. And, Very he, good. and
3: he always asked me about. Everett Tell and my son
2: my regards. So th-
3: those are those. Are, that's what it's like. You're the only Jew in class. And...
2: Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I get that. I was, as I said, I was the only Jew in the entire school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so you become like the rep. You're you're sort of the prime minister of the Jewish people. Exactly. Right. That's what I
3: go through with this. That's what it's like. We had we did the walk for Israel this year. We had the mayors of both cities, and they both wrapped themselves in the flag and took pictures. And
2: that's good. That's good to hear. We don't have a uh, we don't have a lot of that. There's, I mean, there is some of it, but. So Jeff, you're uh, you're born in 1969. Uh, You're nine years old, so we're talking around 1978 seventy eight seventy nine I think it was seventy nine you were a grade five student at Mackenzie King Public School, and one of your teachers was Wayne Tennant, yes, and we can say that because hey. it's all over the internet and internet, and he was uh, charged not not only for the abuse against you but for others right He was charged I think it was nineteen eighty two I hadn't already left
3: Mackenzie King and I was at Breslau, believe it or not in grade seven when he got arrested was it, is he still alive do you know he is, I'll tell you where he, he's, he's living in Windsor. He is on social assistance. He wakes up every morning wondering if he's going to be charged again, because there's no statute of limitations. Any one of my classmates, and there are others because they've told me, can have him arrested at any moment's time. The water the regional police knows who he is, where he is, what he is. The Windsor police knows who he is. And more importantly, knows what he is. Yeah, he, the only person he fooled in that courtroom and made a fool
2: of was the judge yeah not not you know so so, so you're nine years old mm-hmm. right you have this teacher homeroom teacher yeah that's all you had was he yeah did nine everything. right that's he, true yeah he did everything gym Grade everything five. with us so. that is correct and uh was he friendly towards you he was he was
3: and a lot of these pedophiles have this person they're hot and cold they want you to be friendly but they want you to be fear. They they have a healthy fear. They're afraid of them and I was afraid afraid of him. But you know what, when I was 9 years old, I didn't know what was happening to me. Yeah, I didn't realize. It didn't it didn't register till later in life when you start to understand, "Hey, this is what happened." Yes. That's when you decide you're not going to talk about it, you're going to bury it and you're going to do uh, you bury it and you Put it in your subconscious, and it comes back to haunt you
2: later. And 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 so what happens? Again, before the show, you said it's okay to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. At any point in time, you want me not to, you just tell me. So does he? Just does it seem like he's becoming friendlier with you? He was all hands. That's. I mean, I don't want to get into all the really gross details of what he did,
3: but he was he was all hands, and. He would touch you where you weren't supposed to be touched and you were not a kid. You didn't know that that was... It sounds strange when you're this age to say, how could you not know that that's bad? But yes. you don't you're even hit puberty. You don't know what the hell is going on. Yes. You don't know what's what. And you don't really figure it out till probably in my mid-teens. I think I knew, okay, something... This was wrong, but you... I was... It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. and You, you don't want to talk about it. So I buried it into my subconscious which probably made it worse. I'm assuming that's what happens, right? Right, that's what most, I don't like to characterize us in a group, but I've gotten to know victims over, over my, friends with victims, and the is usually the same. It happened, you bury it, you self-medicate, you, I don't wanna say suicidal, but a lot of people who suffer from this do end up suicide or with self-medication is really slow yes suicide anyways um but some of us make it you know we got i got got help but when you bury it in your subconscious it doesn't go away that's what i learned and it eats at you and you know i've never had a good relationship in life that's probably why i'm single not married with no kids is because i've had any girlfriend i've ever had it's never worked Uh, I've had problems with, you know, there's intimacy issues and there's trust issues. It's just never, never worked out for me. It's not in the cards for me. Um, But I did get the therapy. My parents made sure they fought hard for me. My parents,
2: you were they saying, fought
3: hard for me when I wasn't fighting for myself. You were saying. That's for sure. My dad is, uh, he's my rock. He's like my best friend. He probably saved my life and my uncle and my aunt Esther because, you know, we had a family business. I know we're going to talk about that too, but my uncle and my father were my uncle and my father, but they were also my boss, you know, and I wasn't showing up for work and things were really going sideways. My uncle... He never wavered. My father, they never wavered. They they stuck with me. Which is a big deal, right? A huge deal. A huge yeah. deal.
2: Yeah.
3: A huge deal. Because if you have support.
2: If, if you have, have
3: support. And the other thing I learned, which is unfortunate because we live in such a, a wonderful country, generous country, and we have such a great health system. But for when it comes to mental health, you're on your own. If you don't have money, yeah. if you yeah. don't have money, you are really... it's you're up a creek there's really not a lot There, it's getting better we're talking about it more there are more places for people to go who need help but you know, let's be honest with you if I hadn't come from the family I came from with the means that we had and the parents that I had that got me the help that I needed I could just as easily be living in a box on the street just like anybody else
2: yeah and I mean that's really significant there's yeah. some incredible tragedy to that isn't yes, there yeah I in, know there is I in a country
3: is. that you shouldn't When you, you have to remember that when you're walking downtown and you see that person asking for spare change, I don't like to generalize, but I'm telling you nine times out of 10, they had some sort of trauma in their childhood. Well, that's the theory. Yes. It really is. And they just, there's no, there's, if you have cancer, you can go to the emergency room, you can give your health card and they'll help you. Yes. But if you have child trauma, there's really nowhere for you to go. If you want help, unless you've got it, got your checkbook out. There's lots of great private help out there, but it's expensive. You have to be able to afford it, right? Yeah. And you have to, you have to want, you have to know where to go too. Like a lot of times these people, you don't know when you're in it, you don't realize, okay, because I had childhood trauma, I'm using drugs or I'm living on this, you don't, it doesn't register with you. You are just going, you're burning out, you're burning out and you
2: need to know that you can get help and it is fixable but it's not cheap so fortunately so throughout this year did your marks start to fall i don't remember um did things start to change in your
3: life it's hard for me to remember that part and this is this is one of the issues i had when i had him arrested you have to sit down with the police and in a room and there's a camera and they're asking you all these really pointed questions because they have to know the who what when where and how all the details and this is how at trial the defense attorney comes at you as a victim because they know that your story is going to be a little bit different like if you remember the gian gameshi case the the judge really went after the victims and blamed them because their stories changed well it's hard when you're on the stand, and your people are asking you and looking at you to regurgitate in vivid detail what happened to you. It's not natural, and good defense attorneys know how to come after you. So I don't. Were mo- you on the stand? Oh yeah, I got. I the one thing I wanted was I asked the ask me if the person who molested me is in the courtroom so I can point him out, and 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 I did. I mean the results of the trial you saw. The judge let him go. It was a judge that was the poster child for um, judicial mal- malpractice, but that's the role, way way it goes in Canada, I learned. Um, we sort of shake our heads and go, well, and we move on. We don't really do anything about it. We just sort of accept
2: it and moved on. Yeah, and and essentially this fellow who molested you, this Wayne Tennant, um, he had done this to others and he had actually been on trial previously, right? Yeah, and they, they brought that evidence into the case and be- the
3: judge said he couldn't use it because the time of day that he molested me was in the mornings, and the time of day that he molested these guys was after school. So he could, it wasn't similar.
2: That that that's was what, that's that, what the judge said. That was the difference. Yeah, that's what he said. I it, tell you something. Sometimes those the sort of the hairs how we split hairs when it our, comes to cases of sexual abuse. Have you heard over the last week? There's a trial of uh, five or six guys. Um, who ostensibly raped this girl. And they got off because in the place where this happened, um, she was unconscious. It was a party. And in order to call it rape, she has to be present. Mm -hmm. So these guys got off. Now, in this case, you're saying it was a time of day. There's something really, really wrong with that. Judges are... Our
3: judges, and I can say this in general terms because I've looked at it, our judiciary is not set up to handle sexual assault cases. Our judges, they don't know how to... I don't know if it's... the, The judge I had was pretty incompetent, and the judges that I've seen... They don't. He blamed me because I didn't come forward when I was nine years old. He sort of held me. Well, anyone who knows anything about sexual abuse knows it takes decades to come forward. And you were it. about
2: 35 when 35 you were 35
3: when I think when I, so it happened at nine, nine.
2: you were on trial. He went on yeah. trial when you were 35 yeah. and today you are oh, turning 50. tough. Huh? Congratulations. But,
3: but that's what happens in these cases yeah. and the judges, yeah. it seems like they find ways to let these guys off. You know, in the States, the, the dirty secret about the judicial system, it's not a secret, is that there's so many innocent people that go to jail in the States for all sorts of reasons. And Canada's dirty little secret is that we let these guys off. There's, there's this, what, Why? I don't know. There's this saying, they always say, better to let 10 guilty people go free than put one innocent person in jail. And I say, listen, of course you don't want to have an innocent person go in jail, but when you let those 10 guilty people go free, you're giving a victim a life sentence. You're not giving them anything. And so, there's, there's,
2: so, I mean, according, according to the uh, uh, the Waterloo uh, region record, and this is from 2010, Tannen began teaching at Mackenzie King in 1979. Less than three years later, he was removed from his job after 14 children. Mm-hmm. Came forward claiming he had abused them. He ultimately pleaded guilty of molesting three children, and he was sentenced to a year in jail. And he got out early, and then he actually got a pardon five years later. So, how, you know, I've often Gee. wondered about this, Jeff. How did? Well, how did you feel after this? After the trial was I, over, it said you were crushed by you were I devastated. Was, I was devastated
3: because the evidence was there, like the police. The,
2: the, I felt
3: awful for the officer rob bopre i'll say his name he was the best cop i've ever met like he gave me my life back he went after him and he didn't stop and he built this case and then the judge throws it out after all that i felt really bad for him and the crown all these people put all this work into it and it's like an epidemic in our judicial system that these judges they don't they don't sentence these people away like Jerry Sandusky in the States, you remember with Penn State? Mm -hmm. He got life. If he was in Canada, he would have maybe gotten five years. Really? Probably out in two and a half. Really? Yeah. And they also told me that even if the judge had found him guilty because it happened in the 1980s, he would have been sentenced as if it happened in the 1980s. And the judge probably wouldn't have put him back in jail anyways. And this is because we're trying to be fairer? I don't know what... It's the system. Everyone keeps telling you it's the system. When you get involved the police the crown your victims advocates they say jeff you know you're really brave for coming forward but don't get your expectations
2: and you're thinking to yourself i'm
3: like wait a minute we got this guy dead to rights i even had a a guy in my class come as a witness saying he was all hands and the judge still wouldn't convict
2: So, so what happened after this was over when he was let go what happened to you i was
3: I was pretty devastated because you always you want to believe in the system, like you want to believe that you know bad people, you know they go to jail or they get found guilty. You don't you you don't want to believe that they they actually let these people go free, right? Right. Uh, and then you find out from the people in the system that this hey this happens all the time. It's just, just no. The way so it you is.
2: walk out of the courtroom, you go home. What's the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year like for you? Well, I learned in therapy Avram.
3: At some point, you got to let it go. Yeah. Because this, this, this stuff will eat you alive, literally. I understand. It eat you alive. I'm sure. I, I did all I could do. I got the man arrested. I went to trial. I did everything that was in my power, that was in my control. Everything else that happened was not in my control. It yes. wasn't in my control that he molested me. It wasn't in my control that the judge let him go. But it was in my control to file the complaint, have him arrested, and go to trial. Yes. I did all that. Now it's time to move on. And other than you know talking with you and talking with people about this subject which i i do because it's important you got to let it go man you have to move on with your life because this stuff can
2: eat you alive well what is it about being sexually abused which is the most difficult thing to deal with i think it's the shame that it, i don't know why it's just a guy
3: thing you don't want to be I think not, you, Well, not
2: necessarily. A girl can no, be. No, no, no. I'm.
3: I'm saying for guys, for from guys. a guy's perspective, yeah, that uh, of being abused as a kid, it's it's humiliating. It's it's degrading. Even though you don't have to be ashamed about it, because I, I, I'm not anymore. Um, there's, there's a guy. There's a guy thing with 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 involved in that. Yes. you have to get past that. There's the machismo thing that every guy but guy has, I guess. Nobody wants to feel vulnerable and i'll tell you though the therapy helped explain the way i live my life mm-hmm. like being single doing my own thing and it, it sort of put my life in perspective so i understand it which was which was great but you got to let it go you got to move on so, so
2: where are you at
3: today with all of this i'm i'm good i've moved on i mean i'm here talking to you about it today Yeah, you're marvelous by the way And and i talk to thank you (laughs) you are you're marvelous i i i I like i don't like to talk about it but i like to talk about it from the point of view i want people to understand yes what it's like and probably chances are you know somebody who's gone through this which you do but people don't realize how much it does happen yes uh with coaches and you know it's just it's
2: so you're a kid bad yeah out there you're in grade five What should you be looking for? And you're that grade five kid's parents. What should they be looking for? Uh, That's tough because you never
3: wanna, like teachers, coaches, I mean, they're the bee's knees. I mean, they're the best people in the world. I mean, I'm a hockey coach, but the, the fact is, if you're a pedophile and you're looking for children, you're gonna gravitate to those professions. Like that's where they go. They want to be. It sounds awful. They want to. That's why the church got. Inf, they the priesthood got infiltrated. Yes. By pedophiles because they wanted to be around boys. Um, there are certain rules I have. You know when you, you should never an adult should never be alone with a strange child. There's no reason for that. And they shouldn't other than you know rubbing their heads or giving them a celebratory hug. Is that okay? That, I think that's okay. For I, I don't do it. It's it feels even look look. Like I have a niece and a nephew and you know the innocence of childhood yes. but they they jump and they try to sit on my lap and i sort of push them away i'm not comfortable with 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 that even to even, even to this day but it's it's a shame because they're just innocent kids and yes. they, they want to hug you they want to jump on you they want to sit on you that's what they want to do i'm not comfortable with that so those are my rules i don't, I don't know what to say what to look for um because I don't like to generalize and I don't want to pick on people in those professions because 99.9% of them are just, I mean, saints, teachers, hockey coaches. I mean, all those people are amazing.
2: Well, I, I agree with you, but one has to be vigilant as well as to what can be out there. Sometimes I think our society is uber yes. vigilant. Yes. You know, I my sister was asking me today when I was in yeshiva, mm-hmm. which is a private Jewish school, mm-hmm. Uh, this fellow who was ultimately arrested himself Uh later on in life, he took me out to drive. And I was 16, and there's nothing greater than going to drive Uh at 16, right? Anyways, while I'm driving, he puts his hand on my thigh, and he starts to move it towards my genitalia. Uh And I stopped the car, and I looked at him. I said, take your hand off there, or I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Good for you. Yeah. Anyway, so he stopped. So my sister said, and you never reported it. I said i never saw a need to report it i saw that as one guy who's gay right and he likes other guys and he was coming on to me that's how i saw it jeff well that's what
3: this guy tried to say he said well i was gay and it was the 70s and i wasn't allowed to go so i was attracted to children and yeah but you were
2: that's you you were a kid right
3: that he tried to say it's because i was was, 16 yeah no but he tried to say that this happened because he was a gay man and the pressure on a gay man back in the seventies. So he took it out on kids. Yeah.
2: But there's a difference between a gay man and, no, a course. Tr- and a predator. I'm just telling you how I looked no, at it. That, I understand do you know, when I was growing up, when That's I was gross, 16, no, gross. but when I, mean, I was yeah, 16, yeah. there was a direct correlation between gay guys and pedoph- of pedophiles. Of course there was. Yeah. Of course
3: there was. Yeah. And he tried to use that as an excuse, which, uh, I don't know. I have I, I have a, a friend that I worked with from the store. He was our, our radio guy. And he was a gay guy. He always said, Jeff, how is it that you can even sit down and talk to me after what, with, he said? what you went through? I said, And I said to him, Doug, I said, dude, there's a huge difference between who you are and what this monster is. Yeah, well, really? And, really, yeah. Yeah. It took me for a while to get over that. I, I would say that I did have some, I guess you'd call it homophobia for a while. Because, yeah. you know, I, don't touch me. I'm, you know, I would, that kind of thing would, you know, i our but,
2: society was conducive to homophobia.
3: But, but for remember me the, especially, because of what happened to me in my childhood, you know, man on man.
2: But but not only, Jeff, do you remember, do you remember the raids on the bathhouses? No, I was
3: too young for oh, that. God, but I've, I've
2: read about them. George Hislop, man, he was an, an activist for, for the gay community. They humiliated those men, humiliated yeah, them. The police yeah, went in there, took them, them, them out naked. It was awful. But part of my therapy was understanding
3: there's a difference. It, you know. Yeah. Yeah. A gay man is a gay man, but a pedophile is a pedophile. Of course.
2: Of a course. pedophile is not interested in adults. He's only interested in children. So one of the things that you can be looking for what are the common signs of child abuse and, and, and I understand your answer by the way, you gotta be real careful with this stuff. Mm. God forbid anybody should be, you know, said that they're a pedophile and they're not gotta yeah. be real careful with that children but are pretty i
3: i rarely hear about that i mean the odd time you hear about geez and the me too movement you just don't know i mean it's amazing now the way women are sticking up for themselves yeah but um you in in, in from the i rarely come across cases where children make false allegations like this is that right yeah it's yeah. not I, i'm sure somewhere somewhere some kid is they they they're not they're not capable of understanding what happened to them they don't know the difference i mean my understanding is in schools they do teach the difference between good touching bad touching parents and it's yeah, a lot more do. than they did with us because they they didn't do that they're there was no more, discussion no they're a lot more proactive but for a kid to come forward and say in a, like they wouldn't they don't know anything sexual because they haven't hit puberty they don't even know what it is
2: that's right that's you know? right
3: i mean I, I shouldn't talk like that because younger kids today know everything but Back in my day, we didn't know anything. We thought, Correct. you know, we we just I don't know what we thought, back then, but it wasn't. We didn't
2: we didn't know anything. So, so one of the things that you could look for is a neglected appearance in a child if they're being molested. Um, I would. I I'm trying to think.
3: I I was acted pretty happy. I was pretty good at like bearing it. Right. Yeah. It wasn't until I really like into my mid thirties when it really caught up to me.
2: Yeah, so it's, yeah.
3: I, I wouldn't know what to look for in it in an actual child. Although there are places, there's a place in Kitchener called Child Witness where they look after a couple hundred children a year who face physical or sexual abuse in our region. Which the numbers are. It's, Do you ever uh, speak to those uh, kids?
2: Would you speak to kids who have been uh, abused? I've
3: offered. Here, I'll, I'll tell you what. I met with the the people who ran the board of education before I had him arrested because my mom reached out to them and said, "Look, this is what happened. He was a kid." and they were more worried about being sued. I told them that I would, <laughs> I said to them I would be love to be able to sit down with your teachers and tell my story to your teachers. I offer that to you. Never heard from
2: them. They never followed up on uh, yeah. yeah, well, the, you know, I know from the TDSP here in Toronto, the district board, they're ultra uber conservative. Yeah. Right, there are very few risks taken yeah. to make decisions, take forever. <laughs> if they're accused of something, oh boy, they work overtime and then triple overtime yeah. Yeah. to yeah. try to fix it. I mean, this is not an organization that you know out there, uh, using resources that they probably could. Yeah, it, it, and and uh, you, you yeah. also have to watch out if a kid is unusually critical of his parents or caregivers, uh, something might be going wrong with that kid in their life. Yes, that's yes, possible. very
3: kids are born with a natural innocence yeah if you see that that's missing there's something wrong
2: yeah that's how i i look at it does that that hurt you knowing that about yourself like you're 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 a really nice guy jeff you're a sweet man it did it did for a while
3: that's why i think i do so much work with children it's because i get so much joy seeing that innocence and protecting it in my own way as a hockey coach or a basketball coach. I mean, I don't have kids of my own, and I have a niece and a nephew. But my innocence was robbed. There's no doubt about that. Um, And there's no getting around it. But uh, seeing... I'm very protective of children, whatever. you know, I'm involved with the Talmud Torah. Which is
2: the after-school school school at the synagogue.
3: uh, Well, we're doing it with... Chabad is doing one right now. Okay. But but I do... Right, but I do um, the shul... Shul's going through a transition. We'll have a Talmud Torah again. Don't worry. Right, right. But right now, the only Talmud Torah in town is the Chabad one, and I do the extra, I'm taking, offered to take the kids on extracurricular trips. That's like sort of That's my cool. thing with the parents. I'm taking them to Sky cool. Zone to do bouncing. I'll take them skating. We'll do some basketball. I, mean, I love I that you all, do that. mean, I worked all those years in Israel with all those kids, always teaching them hockey and everything. That's where I get my uh nachas, I guess you could say. Your Jewish you
2: know, pride, man. Yeah. I love that you do that stuff. Now, um very important that if there is any if you have any sense that somebody's going wrong with a child uh, you can report it right
3: you can report it you should report it you should you report. have a duty to report it even you if you're wrong
2: I mean so what you know you're wrong yeah vote if you're right uh, I think here in Toronto if I'm not mistaken two right you call two you know what I don't know yeah I, it I, I is. should
3: know but I I, I don't it, I it, would call 911 <laughs> that's what I know I'm
2: assuming that's gonna work too yeah right yeah. But there are child abuse services, and uh, you can find them on the internet. I believe if you just call two one one, then, in fact, uh, they will be able to help you. Two one one torontoca is where you can go on the internet. Uh, you know what, Jeff? Just as we move on in this interview, uh, I guess what I want to do is kind of extend this great, big, warm hug to you. <laughs> thank you. Y- you know? And you sound like, thank God, man, you, th- you sound like you've come a long way on this journey of yours. I nice. have. I have come a long way. Yeah. And you you, you shine and you got beautiful eyes. Thank you know you. what I mean? And you just seem as though you are uh, for all the work we need to do in life to take us to a better place. It sounds like you've done a ton of it. Sure. So far. So far. So, so good. far. Any possibility of hooking up with a woman? Maybe? I don't, I I don't know. Do you I don't feel what, any bit? Di- do you feel different? I think that? I
3: could handle a relationship now yeah. better than I ever could before. Yeah. But I'm so used to doing my own thing, man. Like I I get up in the morning, I <laughs> really? do my own thing. I'm just so. Used. I'm a pretty private person. I have good friends. I have a few friends, but that are very good, and they know all about me. And they know everything, and and I'm in contact with them. I live a pretty quiet life now compared to the way it was, and I don't know if I could have someone in my life. I'd like to think I would. I could. I mean, I don't want to spend. I mean, nobody wants to be spend the rest. I don't want to spend the rest of my life. Maybe alone. you should I,
2: get a nanny. Maybe that would work. <laughs> 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 so you moved to Israel. What year was that? Nineteen ninety-three. Ninety-three. So mm-hmm. we're, we're talking almost thirty years
3: ago. Yeah. 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 Well, why did you decide to go to Israel? I went with Ellie Rubenstein on Anguish to Hope which is the March of the Living for University Students. It was the first time he'd ever done that trip. And I was so moved by going, you know, you go to the camps and then you go to Israel. And I was so, you you know what, I'm graduating university. There was a a six-month program on a kibbutz where you could uh, the Yilpan and study, it was... uh, um, not a religious way of studying the Torah, but a, a, an educational way of studying. Yeah. This. You'd read the story, you'd go to the place. So for six months, I thought, "Hey, that's great! I'm going to go do this." Yeah. And then when I was there, I st- my dad, who was involved with UIA, said, "You know, there's a hockey rink in this place called Matula. Would you like to go and volunteer there for three months?" I was like, "Yeah, of course." Now Why you not? were a hockey player. I played hockey my whole life. Were, I wasn't, you, were you? Wasn't a great hockey. How player. far did you go in hockey? I I went to my bar mitzvah. To, I was twelve when I had the biggest fight with my father, which was, I don't want to have a bar mitzvah, it means I don't get to play hockey. And he said, fine, if you don't want to have a bar mitzvah, you can go and talk to the rabbi. And if he tells you that you don't have to have a bar mitzvah, <laughs> That's a kiss I'll, of death. I'll let you play hockey. And I was like, oh, I ain't telling the rabbi I don't have a bar mitzvah. <laughs> so I had to go every Shabbos the year before, yeah. you, know, you do in Kalawainu on, so that killed my hockey career. But it was what But it was. how
2: good were you in
3: hockey? I was pretty good, I
2: guess. I was
3: never going to make it to the NHL. No, but
2: did you rise up in the ranks? I think <laughs> I played select
3: like your son. I think it was as good as I, I got. Uh, what was your strength City. as
2: a hockey player? I was a forward. Right wing? Left wing? Left wing. And you shoot left? And what was your and strength? We, and I,
3: we, When I was a kid, we hit back then we played hitting hockey yes so we did <laughs> and when and when i used to go to hockey games they used to fight and they used to continue the fights inside the penalty box i used nuts. to go to rangers games and there'd be blood going everywhere crazy, man it was crazy just, days remember? yeah those were the days i grew up in hockey yeah so i'll t- actually i'll tell you a funny story so my first game i ever coached in israel we played in in bacham a small little rink in bacham that had cinder blocks as boards so we took the matula bus and i Brought, so after, so wait a second, I volunteered for three months, they offered me a job, so I came back the next year. Yeah. So that was the year, so my first game coaching, I brought all the Don Cherry's Rock'em, Sock'ems with me. So we had three hours.
2: Which is a video that his son makes.
3: Right, it's all we're,
2: fights. It's all hockey fights. Is that what it is? it's, yeah, it's all hockey fights. It's
3: John Cherry narrating hockey fight after hockey fight. <laughs> I and I that. must have had 15 of them, and we watched them all the way to Tel Aviv. What I didn't know <laughs> is these kids that I was coaching had never actually seen a hockey game in their life. It was just this weird kind of sport that we were playing on a half rink. So the puck dropped, and the gloves came You're off. kidding, oh, really? yeah, we had a bench-clearing brawl. <laughs> I got thrown out. I got suspended my first game. I was a player-coach
2: that's hilarious I'll never forget that
3: that's they
2: al- all all the
3: Russians over there they hated me they're like what is this Canadian doing so, so
2: they thought hockey was fighting
3: they did because they hadn't seen a hockey game Yeah, they just yeah. thought we played hockey on a little half rink they really didn't when I first got there we had the kids had to like trade sticks we didn't have enough hockey sticks for them like they had to switch sticks yeah. so they really and we had one little rink with a center line
2: that was it so explain to me so Matula's called the Canada Center mm-hmm. yeah it was built by uh, philanthropic assistance from people from here in toronto and yeah. canada and it's uh regular is, is it an official size rink it's an olympic size rink now yeah. olympic they built, size they built an olympic size rink so it's european basically european, yes. and and how many teams were part of this league? i think there
3: were six five or six teams there was a there was a a fake ice rink in jerusalem with like a wax yeah, and there was one in a shopping mall in Haifa, and one in Bat and Ramat Gan, and they all had little hockey teams, and we had a little league that we played. And now we, they
2: have full full rinks over there, and now. they play they play international. Yeah,
3: they play. I was I was the manager of the Israeli junior national hockey team. I think the second year it ever went abroad. Really? How'd you guys do? Um. Well, we beat Turkey. I'll tell you one thing. We went to Belgrade one year. I'll, I'll never forget this. We went to Belgrade, and Israel had just. Re, um, re-engaged negotiations with, with Belgrade since '67. Yeah. So the ambassador was in a hotel room. And we played the first game, which was against Turkey, and we won. But the next game was the Serbian game, and every, the rink had filled up. So, But you win. They played Hatikva. So 2,000 people had to stand up for Hatikva for, wow. in, in Belgrade. I, I was sent shivers down my back. How was that? That was amazing. That was amazing.
2: Oh, that must have been so something. Day
3: one, just listen. If you go abroad with an Israeli team and they win and they play Hatikfa and they're
2: somewhere like abroad, it brings tears to your eyes. Was there any anti-Semitism that you experienced? The
3: kids did on the ice. They'd fight. On the they, ice? They, because they'd call them a dirty Jew or something like that. And yeah. my, Some of my kids, they played hockey in Canada too, so there were some tough kids I had. Yeah. And they weren't afraid to drop the the. Drop the I
2: got a buddy here in the building. His son went and played basketball. He goes yeah. to a religious uh, school here. But they were a really good team. And he went and he played in uh, regional uh, yeah. regional uh, finals. And they went out to London or a city near there. And boy, oh boy, was it anti-Semitic. They they went at them big time. They do come at these early teams like
3: that. They do, but... Then it's back to our, is it really anti-Semitism or are they really just trying to get under their skin? Because with hockey players, you don't know. Uh-huh, like a lot of times, uh-huh, if uh-huh. you talk to NHLers, the stuff that goes on on the ice, like they say some really nasty stuff. Like yeah, stuff they do to Stuff you would never say. And not just about to, Jews, about your mother. Your, your mother, everything. <laughs> like, that's what I'm talking about. Like they get really nasty okay. Okay. On, on the rink. So you don't know if they're just doing it together. Some of them, you, you know, they are doing it. But our guys weren't afraid to drop their gloves. They had some pretty tough... Were
2: you a good coach?
3: I was an adequate coach. <laughs> you know, we, we later brought Roger Nielsen over. Yeah. So then I really learned what it was to be a coach. How right? was that to watch him coach? He was... It was the thrill of a lifetime. Because I would be on the ice with him. I'd be translating because he didn't... The kids, a lot of them, some spoke English, some didn't. So I would be on the ice and I translated And we used to use... Tires, not pylons, because tires, they don't move. Pylons move. So he'd say to me, Jeff, you're the best tire mover I ever had. So <laughs> what he said? That's nice. Yeah, that big a, compliment. That was a big compliment from Roger, because well, I wasn't
2: good at anything else. Roger was a special guy. He, he, was. he was the coach of the Leafs at one point. Yep. Right? And yep. he was considered to be... Uh, He's in the Hall of a, Fame. An a veritable genius, I mean, at coaching, right? Yeah, he was the king of the video replay. Like, he
3: would... That's right. He'd wa- he would tape you, and then you'd go back and watch... Watch yourself on so tape. So you hung out with him? Yes. Wow. He was there for a week at a time for three years in a row. And then he would take two kids from Israel every summer into his hockey camp in um, Peterborough for free for a week. So I would bring them up to his house. And he'd just, like, invite them to their car. Co- he was this NHL coach. And these kids in Israel had his personal phone number. They'd be calling him like they had no idea. Who what, he was. Who he was. They didn't, what was he like? He was the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, How so? Yeah, he, first of all, he was very deeply religious Christian. Mm-hmm. And he, he didn't know it because he wouldn't preach, but when he was in his spare time, he'd be reading his Bible. Mm-hmm. And we, the one guy, the first guy we brought over was Bill Lindsay, who played for the Florida Panthers, and Roger coached the Florida Panthers for a year. And he said, Jeff, I got to tell you, it was so embarrassing because when coaches yell at the ref, they use every four-letter word in the book, but Roger, you are forbidden to swear. So he used to be, golly gee whiz. And he said, well, the heck. The, the players would have their heads down on the bench out of embarrassment with the guy. That was the thing that you could never swear around him. Yeah. It was always, shoot. That was, the, he really, yeah. Uh, and when he when he, when, when he was passing away, he was famous for his chain letters where he would write one letter, photocopy it, send it out to a thousand people, but he'd address the name. So he sent me a goodbye letter like my life is over. And oh, oh, it he? It was a bit of a... But he sent it to a lot of people. What was that like? Well, that's when he sort of said, listen, I'm happy. I'm at peace. I'm a religious Christian. I believe in Jesus. If you ever want to talk about it, please give me a call. I'm happy to talk about it, but know that I'm at peace and I'm ready to go. And it was kind of sad. And that's the only time I'd ever... Heard him speak about his religion, because he never did. He would just be quietly reading his Bible. Yeah. But he yeah. was a born-again Christian. He was very religious. So
2: how, how much before he passed did you see him? Uh, he, he, got, he came the first year.
3: Then the next year, he got hired by the Flyers as their head coach. And then they found out he had cancer. That's right. So yeah. I would go to the Leaf. Whenever he would come into town, we could go. He would never buy us tickets. He'd set them aside, and he'd make sure we had the most exp. We always got stuck with the most expensive seats, yeah. too, and he'd never buy them for us. He'd yeah. just reserve them. <laughs> yeah. But he, he he announced that he had cancer, and he happened to be playing the Leafs that night. And I went down after the game. He said, Jeff, don't worry. We're going. Don't worry. And he went for two years after that. Did he really?
2: Yeah. yeah. So did he love it there? He loved it. He loved it. What did he he love about it? He
3: loved those kids. He loved everything about Israel. He got to meet, we got bombed with Katushas one time. So Ezra Weitzman, the president came up to say, hello, 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 hello. Well, Ezra Weitzman, it's Israel, it's casual. So we were at the hotel with Roger and Ezra Weitzman's car just pulled him, He just got out of the car and I was like, okay, I want you to meet Roger Nielsen and Roger Nielsen had known all about him that he was the first pilot, he was this he was on cloud nine, but he just he was him. president of Israel, he, but he just met him on the side of the street in Matula, he just got out of his car you know, he had a driver and everything and his security was with him, but he was going to the hotel for a break, and it was just one on one and he got this picture, he thought that was the greatest thing in the world Oh, well, probably, and he called yeah. him half Israeli because he was wearing bare feet, Roger Ezra
2: Weissman did. <laughs> really? did that's yeah. the fascinating thing about, about being in israel or spending time with israelis especially the dignitaries is that they're huge (laughs) in terms of what they do or or what they did or what they did but you'd have no idea no
3: Except the ones that moved to Canada, because every Israeli I know was a commando. <laughs> yeah. <they were laughs> responsible for the rescue of Ethiopian exactly Jews. Exactly. Everybody I know. It's I funny, know. when I went to Israel, very
2: few of them were in combat units. You the know, rest of don't. them
3: were job next. You so generally think. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was kind of,
2: but everyone that comes here. Which other NHL hockey players made their way to Metula? We had Steve Dubinsky, the Jewish guy. Yeah. And. Um,
3: I can't think of his name. He was a Russian, a really good Russian guy. He was 19 when he played for the Flyers. His name escapes me. And you were
2: basically responsible for their stay, right? Myself. So what I did
3: was with Ellie... We started a volunteer program at the Canada Centre. I said, well, why should people volunteer on a kibbutz? Let them come over and volunteer and play hockey. Yeah. So Ellie and I came, over, and we did that. We have kids come, like, teenage, like university students come over for three months at a time. They live at the Canada Centre, and they would coach hockey as an experience. Well, one of them worked for Roger Nielsen. So we were talking one day, and he just said, You know, I think I'll ask him if he'll come. And I said, Okay, if he comes. And then I went to UIA and Ellie, and I said, Ellie, we got a chance to bring an NHL coach. We got to make this work. And we made it work. Those are the greatest days. Yeah, Ellie, those were the days back in the good old days. I was just talking about it. Yeah, you were there, and it was just, we just, I don't know how we pulled that
2: off. Aren't those the greatest days, though, when something like that happens? Yeah. I just uh, scored. An interview with David Shore. Da- David Shore was the uh, writer producer for the show House, oh, and, okay. and now The Good Doctor. Oh, okay. He is uh, probably one of Hollywood's biggest producers. Mm-hmm. He's from Hamilton, Ontario, and on December the 11th, I have a half hour interview with him. Wow! And you know something? I'm older now, so one doesn't get quite as excited. But I'm still excited. You do, yeah. For yeah. me,
3: it was a trip. I here I am on the ice in Matula. Yeah, this kid from Kitchener, coaching hockey with an NHL coach, and, and 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 we would play. We would coach during the day, and at night we'd play games. So he would coach the adult, te- the the older kids and the younger kids. So I was his assistant coach the whole time because I'd be translating.
0: Oh. It wow. was
3: and it was just me and him, and he was just the coolest. And the hockey players were the coolest guys, the nicest guys. Were they? You ever met. Yeah. and Zubras. That's Z- who we, oh, Zubris. Zubris we brought. He played for the Flyers, and, and he was the biggest guy that we brought over. Yeah. But he was yeah.
2: 19 at the time. He was just a kid. And isn't it amazing to see these guys play up close? Yeah. I, I mean, these guys. Have you ever seen like an NHL slap shot? Like, I know. Like right in front of you? Right. Right. I mean, they're huge. Right, they're fast. They're strong. They skate hard, and they can shoot. Oh, they can shoot. Yeah, yeah. I told you we were uh, we were we had the front seats. You know, at that I Leaf saw game. on Facebook. Yeah, I saw, you yeah. Know, and we're I'm a
3: Bruins fan, by the way. Why are you a Bruins fan? My dad, the Kraut line. They were from Kitchener. Oh, yeah, who was on the Kraut Line? I don't remember their names, but they were from they were Kitchener Rangers and they went off to be Bruins and they were called the Kraut Line. A lot oh, of Bru- right. a, a lot of Kitchener guys made it to the Bruins. So my dad I always grew up, I was a Bruins fan. I like the Leafs. I don't mind but I like beating them too.
2: What about Marchand? you like Marchand? Yes. What do you think with the fact that he licks someone's face? Yeah. <laughs> What's your take on that?
3: <laughs> Pretty weird. Uh, More than pre- weird. Uh, a little weird. Yeah, that is bizarre. Uh, weird, but these guys—when you meet these NHL—they're different than most. They're generous as hell. Yeah. They all have charities, and they're all very cognizant that kids look up to them, like they're the yeah, they're thing, and they're just—at uh, least everyone that I've met—is just you know they're unbelievable. I they're, also got Jacques Demers came over. For the maccabi games they did hockey and he was coaching team canada i got to hang out with him
2: too you know you have a pretty interesting life it was it was do you find that it It was was. it was no i'm just living in Kitchener. would yeah do you look back on your life and sort of see the chapters that occurred and think to yourself wow look what's happened in my life that's pretty auspicious or yeah it was pretty cool um you've
3: had a lot go on i had a lot go on yeah i had a lot go on good stuff bad stuff i had the range um i'm pretty tame these days although we are i shouldn't be careful with my words here marshall and i my my the the guy who co-coordinated the roger we've been texting and saying we got to put the band back together he's he's responsible. he's the good old boy he still has roger's name he can use roger's name because he does roger Nielsen's coach so i said can we put roger's name on he said i think we can so i've been bugging Ellie, which who I, oh Ellie, I owe you a phone call. I know you're listening. Uh, we're going to hopefully well, what's see. the plan? What's I don't the plan? know. The plan is we want to do it. I don't know if we can do it. Uh, I've spoken to them in Israel. They definitely want to, would love to have us come back. And Marshall is actually now the manager for Team Canada sledge hockey, he were, He lives in Calgary. He works in. He's got the dream job. Sledge
2: hockey hockey's amazing, is amazing, isn't it? But that? he works at
3: Hockey Canada in the building. Uh, that is the so dream job. He's got job. connections now that I can't even dream. So, of.
2: So, are you up for another another time in your life of, I, of pure excitement? I would. Yeah, I think. <laughs> are that'd you up be for fun. it?
3: The kids. The kids that I coached are all coaching now like they're the older ones now they play in the adult league but it's i I think i sent you an email they started the canada israel hockey school which i have nothing to do with but they started and they have arabs and jews together playing hockey yeah that's beautiful isn't it it's beautiful
2: if you know anything about israel that's very very rare It, it it is rare and and when it happens honestly i can't think of anything more positive yeah really yeah i'm really proud of them i mean they did
3: that on their own i mean i had nothing, i am too I, I had nothing to do with that we can be proud because they're doing it in the canada center
2: we y- had something yeah. to do with that and it should be a dogma it should be a model for other you know environments within israel and outside of it as to what we can do they're just quietly going ahead yeah. and doing it it's like yeah. I, I i i think i sent you the video i'm not
3: sure it was on tsn there was like you're just so proud of them and they to them it's like yeah that's what we're doing you know i mean
2: so um, I just want to take a step back. We were talking a little bit about Bud's before, about the store, right? <laughs> yeah. I uh, I have wonderful memories of it, as my sisters do. And, of course, my parents, God bless their souls. Mm-hmm. Uh, it closed, uh, I think, in 2016. Yes. Well, it was an icon, an icon mm-hmm. of a store on King Street in Kitchener, right? It
3: was They still call it the Bud's Building. The Bud's Building, There's yeah. a new
2: owner, and it's been
3: renovated, and it doesn't look anything like it did. Are they still
2: selling clothing? No. No, no 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 it's tech there's libra a credit agency there's a what's that like a, for you when you see the store going? well the
3: guy who bought it is a really nice guy young he's like 26 years old we used to work for google he's one of these tech millionaires and uh, he wants to keep everybody poor guy everyone calls it the buzz Build. i mean i'm having coffee too i go downtown every day I have, I have coffee which is like two doors down and i hear this guy Wearing a construction hat, saying, "Yeah, yeah, I was just came out of the Bud's building." Like, <laughs> they still call it that. Yeah, yeah. Was it uh, was it was it sad for you when it closed? I miss the staff. I miss the customers. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people come up to me on the street. What are you doing? Are you going to bring it back? Are you going to bring a Bud's back? And everybody has a Bud story about yeah. something
2: somewhere. Something happened. Yeah, uh, really and, nice story. That was told was about the father who was looking for his son's birthday present. You want to tell that story? So the story we didn't know about this, but when we when we announced our retirement, there was three
3: months before we retired. We've never been busier in our ninety years. People just came out of the woodwork. They all had these stories. So this guy took my my dad or my uncle aside. And said I want to. I've been holding the story in as as um, I was a kid. My father, I guess, he. It was the stores were closed. It was the night before my birthday and he didn't have a gift. And I was awake, so I heard him come home and tell my mother this story. He was going up and down King Street and my my grandfather and his brothers were famous for having these family meetings into the night at the stores. He was going down King Street, he saw the light on in the store. So he banged on the window even though it was closed. And my grandfather opened the door and he said, What 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 I do? He said, Listen, it's my son's birthday tomorrow. I didn't get him a gift. I got nothing. My grandfather said, wait, I'll be right back. Got him a Leaf jersey, wrapped it up, put it in a box, gave it to him, and wouldn't take any money for yes, it. That's lovely. And lovely. he went home and told his wife that story, and the kid was awake because it was the night before his birthday. So he heard the story, but he didn't tell us until we closed.
2: Your grandfather was a very elegant man. I'm sure he was. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
3: I, I mean, I re- I, He died when I was after my bar mitzvah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, okay. I
2: remember your grandfather. And, oh, you he, do? Yeah, I sure do. Uh, sure. And he was a very elegant man. He but really said was, stuff. He had, he was known for his silver gray hits. That's right. He was very well coiffed. Yeah. <laughs> very well coiffed. Now you guys used to sell, I guess, mid-range clothes. It was,
3: yeah, it was department store but, stuff. It was so, a department yeah, store. Yeah, yeah. You could. I'll tell you the funniest thing I remember. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember when Michael Jackson came out with his uh his famous out with uh, Thriller? Thriller. Yeah and he had that red jacket on in the video. Yeah. Do you remember that thing went viral everybody was wearing them? Right. We had a boys department full of those jackets. I remember that. because when I was 16 I went from making boxes to the boys department and I remember selling those Michael Jackson <laughs> jackets. Yeah. They were all over the place. They were
2: in vogue at the <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. Those are great memories. Yeah. I um I want to thank your family very much, you know, for giving to us and giving to the community what they did for so many years. Because when you run a store like that, it's not just simply opening up in the morning, you know, come on yeah. in, but there's a family component to it, right? There is, and,
3: and the staff that work for you, they work for us for forever.
2: Yeah. That was the toughest thing
3: was was closing, but we made sure that everybody, a lot of them were old enough to retire and they retired with us. Right. The ones that didn't want to retire and wanted a job, my dad found every single one did of he? them a job. Yeah, He did. They didn't go without. Good yeah. man. We Good actually man. had people calling us saying, if they work for you, we want them to work for us. Yeah. So we were able to, that was a big point of pride for my dad and my uncle, that anybody who wanted to continue working, we found them a job. Good for you. Yeah. So
2: just a few questions before we wrap Mm -hmm. up. Is there something that you're working on inside of you to strengthen yourself? I'm always curious about what happens inside of people. I know... That I'm always working on trying to be more compassionate. I have a ways to go with that. I try to work on my—I
3: don't want to say my temper, but I have a quick tongue. And you know, I'm when you're on the board of a shul and people, we're when you're dealing with the shul and the synagogue, people are very passionate. Yes, they are. And you can you can lose it from time to time. Not that I have, but I've I. I have a pretty quick tongue, and I, I think a lot of that comes from the anger I had as a child, that that I'm working on it. I, I know it, I acknowledge it, and I try to be better about it. How do you control your anger? What do you do? Well, it takes a lot. First of all, it takes a lot to get me angry. Mm-hmm. I mean, having gone what I've gone through and done what I've... Uh, you really got to do something to piss me off. But um, I do... I'm very passionate about the synagogue i like to see things a certain way i look at it a lot of times from your father and mother's perspective and people when they push that button i'm not i have no shame in pushing back i push back pretty hard about that place i don't if there's something at beth jacob like you know it's there's something about that place if you were
2: raised there it's it's in you I got to come out and visit you You there. do you I should gotta. come who uses my dad's office there anybody The secretary uses yeah. It. yeah yeah I, I sit office. in there from time to time what uh is the world okay are we okay
3: it depends who you watch if you watch CNN or Fox I mean have you ever watched Jeff C- Budd is uh, the world okay for me yes world is I'm in a happy place um like I said I'm not a religious guy but I go to shul four days a week I don't know, do you feel I mean, blessed yeah, I do. Yeah. At the end of the day. I always wondered, I got to tell you, sitting here talking with you has been pretty healing. It, it's almost been, Thanks. I always wanted to know how your father would explain this to me. Yes. And I know it would break. it besides wanting to get in his car, drive to Windsor and bash the guy's head in, which is probably his first, how would he explain it to me? But sitting here talking to you has almost been like talking to your
2: father. Thank you. Thank it's you. True. I appreciate it's that. It's true. It's been a healing experience. It's kind of interesting to me. That you don't go to Windsor and bash his head in.
3: We I thought about it. Me and my friends thought about
2: no, it. No, I hear you, but I'm yeah, always yeah. wondering about you hear fathers and their daughter got raped. Yeah. And they don't take that into their own hands. And sometimes I think to myself, how is it that they can't? Because I, That they then, hold themselves back. Then I would be the one in jail. Oh, oh the, no,
3: it's logical. Your answer is logical. The, the day that we came in for the verdict, he was standing out in the hallway that's the thing about the system he's a free man so you're out you're just there he is there you are you know yeah. he gave me a look and I was like fuck you don't you yeah. even look at me or say a word to me and yeah. I just kept moving but you know I could have bashed his head in but you know then I would have been in jail no I don't you know? suggest I, it. no I know I know, <laughs> believe, you know. Me, believe me I thought about it excuse me I thought about it and it was suggested to some of my friends but I know for a fact he's living a miserable life he wakes up every day praying that one of the kids don't come forward and have him rearrested. The kid, the ch- the police in Windsor know who he is, yeah. know what he is. Yeah, he's not fooling anybody. Like not I much said, of a life. He only fooled that judge. Nobody else. He's didn't fool anybody. Do you ever else. have
2: compassion on the man?
3: No. I could care a lot. I hope he spends the rest of his life it living helped. in squalor and misery. For all I care, because it's phenomenal. He doesn't. He's not apologetic about it. I mean, I guess. Right. Right. He just the, the smirk on his face and the way he fought it was. I hear you. What a prick. I hear he's just you. Just a piece of garbage. I don't spend any time really worrying about him. I know he's in a bad place, and good. F- that's
2: where he should be. What so? What are some? Uh, what What's a quirky ritual that you have? A personal quirky ritual. Jeez, I don't know you use the same coffee mug every day yes <laughs> what does it look like just a plain coffee
3: mug. what kind of coffee it, do you like i i actually have two quadruple espressos every day do you at matter of taste and so maybe that's quirky i go to matter what of time place, what time uh it depends if i go to shul thursday morning i'm there by eight o'clock if if it's the rest of the week maybe 10 30 you like ritual yeah, it's, that is a ritual for me. Is I go downtown, Kitchener, every single day, yeah, okay. regardless.
2: Is your house organized? Yes. You, you know where your suits are. You know where your pants are. You do your laundry. I do my laundry. Do you cook do you, for yourself? I don't cook that much. So how do you eat?
3: Well, I, I eat. I'm on a diet. I, I You I, go out? I, I go out. No, listen, I lost 80 pounds. Did you lose 80 pounds? Yeah, I lost 80 pounds. I was on a diet for a year, and I've kept it off. Oh, that's I really fantastic. Got, I, think, I think part of... I was substance abuse and food. You know, I, I found pleasure from food, and I ate, and I ate, and I didn't
2: exercise, and I really got carried away. That's terrific. But I lost a lot of weight, and I've kept it off for a year, so I eat like a bird. You shovel your... your uh, are you in a house or an apartment? Apartment. Oh, so you don't have to shovel then. Okay. No. Do you know the people in your building?
3: Um, they come and go pretty quickly. It's a brand new building. I've gotten to know faces, yeah.
2: you know? Yeah. Mazusa on your door? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good.
3: They all know I'm the Jew on the floor. That's Do for they? sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It stands out like <laughs> one time I <laughs> I had a guy. You were the Jew in school. Jew, and now there you're was the a Jew. guy. You'll know. You'll relate to this. There was a guy in my apartment changing the filter, and uh, there was something was on TV. Donald Trump was on TV or something, and he says, "You know, I really like that Donald Trump." Yeah. But why does the only thing that bothers me? is his support of Israel. So <laughs> is he said? So he's telling me, he doesn't know that I'm Jewish. Yeah. The, the, the Moses on the door. But that's the kind of stuff you I deal with that in, stuff. In, in, in Kitchener. Well, they just, well, here too, what did you say to the guy? I just said, uh, actually, I kind of like Israel. And he's like, I think he kind of got it. And he, he <laughs> left. And he was only in there for five minutes. But the fact that I'm like, of all the things that are going on in this world, why would you pick on Israel?
2: Like, mm. how does that even come up in somebody's? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't get it. That's just... So last question. Because you own a clothing store, do you have a particular understanding, a sense of, a liking of clothes?
3: I used to. Now I just, I regret that I have to pay retail. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) It kills me. I hate going shopping. Were you a sharp dresser? I used to be. Now I'm just jeans and a T-shirt. So could you go into the store and just grab stuff? That's all I ever did. Oh, my gosh. And I had a, like, when I I moved into this apartment, I had to buy bedding for the first. My dad and I... (laughs) went last weekend I went to buy jeans and he bought jeans with me the two of us together (laughs) where did you guys go I went to American Eagle he didn't like it was a little too too hip for him so he went to Hudson's Bay what size waist I'm a 34 that's great and your dad I, I don't know I think he's a thirty two. Was he's it a nice skinny. going
2: shopping with your dad? Yeah, it was fun. Was because it we fun? know the scam. So we're like, yeah, you know, right. we're like <laughs> I had a coupon and he's it, like listen this thing and I gotta finish the show on yeah. this. The idea that you could go into your father's store and just scoop up what you yeah. needed to me is like I've said this so many times you, you know, you really benefit from who your father is. Yeah. So, I had it from my friend Vicky, did this show, and her father yeah. owned a sports store. Right. Remember Riordan's in Kitchener? Of course. The Moscow's. The Moscow. So, they could course. go there, you needed skates, yeah. they would get skates yeah. for themselves. Yeah. My father was a rabbi, so he brought home books. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, your father owned a store, a clothing yeah. store. So, you know, if you needed underwear, you needed socks, you needed sweats, you just go in and get them. You just get it. Yeah. What was that like? That was, you didn't, I didn't know how good it was until yeah.
3: it ended. Until it ended. And, and it. now I got a pay for it yeah
2: and yeah. it hurts every
3: time <laughs> yeah like did your
2: friend say to you jeff can you get you know can you get us some stuff or i
3: would now here's the thing we just got back in with jack victor so we're allowed to get suits wholesale from jack victor yeah, they're gonna let us. so i have friends that are already asking me can you get me the suits they're really good suits
2: well why so, are you in back in with
3: jack victor it's a i don't know why my uncle Actually, it was it was a friend of my father's liked the Jack Victor pants. So he called my dad like six months ago and said, can you, geez, can you get me these pants? Yeah. I love them. Yeah. My dad said, I don't know. So he, between my uncle, who was always the menswear guy, they called up the Jack Victor place. I said, listen, we used to be buds, blah, 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 blah. blah. Can we open up a new account? And they said, sure, okay. Yep. So already the rabbi wants to get new suits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Friends of mine, who are, they already want to get new suits. That's and cool. I know, yeah. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen. I want to thank you very much for the show. Thank you, Avram. Really, You're I really. Um, it seems like it's a difficult subject, and it is a difficult subject. Yeah. You handled it very well. Thank you. And yeah. this was very healing. It was a lot like sitting with your father. Yes, You're, thank you. Thank you. You remind me so much of your dad. You, I you do for that. all of us from Kitchener. We all watch your career. Thanks. Everybody <laughs> in Kitchener does, and we always, what's Avram doing? Oh, you spoke to Avram. Avram, this will be. This will this will go all over the place. This, this yeah, podcast, well,
2: no. listen, man. Uh, yeah. I've said this a dozen times, but when I first started doing when I first start doing the show, mm-hmm. I really believe that it's going to be a gift to you. And then once it's over, I feel like it's going to be a gift to me. Mm-hmm. I really do feel that. And then I realize, you know what? It's a gift to both of us. Mm-hmm. Like you and I sitting here doing this show. This is our moment. Yep. It'll likely never happen again. Not that we won't do an interview one day. But the fact of the matter this this is this is the this is the first one right Mm -hmm. and it's a very special one and the fact that you come on here and you open up Mm -hmm. the way you do i have incredible respect for that thank you thank Thank you you very much thank you it's uh it's very special to see how you've grown and how you've come through your stuff And, and and i often say what can we take out of a show i think the thing that the predominant thing that we can take out of this show is humankind's people's ability To rise above the abuse. Exactly. Right? To get past it. Yeah. To move
3: on and that life isn't over and that there is more and you can, you can get, if you can get, if I can get through this, you can get through anything.
2: Yeah. I guess so, right? You can. Yeah. Yeah. There's not much things in life worse than that. Do, do, is there anywhere where you publish your writings or you chat with people? I, no, I, I don't. Um, if someone's in touch with me through this show
3: i'm open to talking you are yeah okay. absolutely okay. especially
2: about this subject yeah
3: i'm always open but it's not something that you throw out there all no the i time. appreciate hey that. by the way i got molested right you know you don't
2: like sitting in a coffee shop yeah you just don't bring it <laughs> up
3: but people are this is i'm interested to see the reaction to my friends because i have friends on facebook that know this about me and tomorrow the rest are going to know this about me yeah, and it'll be yeah. interesting to see yeah. what their reaction. Well, is.
2: when you're dating, how, how is it when you when you come out with this stuff with women? I've never, I haven't dated or in a point where I've come out with this. Oh, so I don't know.
3: I wonder how, I, how that would. I be. don't know. I talked about it in therapy. I there's no good time to bring it up because you don't want someone feeling sorry for you either. You don't, or, or you don't want someone who thinks they can fix
2: you. Well, both right. of those things. Yeah. But I find very often there are women out there who are highly compassionate. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I just haven't met the right one yet. <laughs> so listen thank you so much for maybe you will maybe yeah yeah maybe you will. i'll pray for you <laughs> man. all right pray for yeah, him yeah so thank you so much for listening to hat radio uh this has been episode 43 we've been with jeff Bud, a dear friend from kitchener and we want to thank him once again for his openness for his being so candid and for sharing with us his life that's what hat radio is all about I want people to be inspired by it. I want people to learn from it. I want people to have that aha moment. Yeah, me too. And that's the interesting thing, eh, Jeff? Yeah. There are going to be a lot of people out there listening to say, shit, man, that happened to me too. They will. Yeah. And I, like I yeah. said, you're going to know them.
3: You don't know that you know them. I mean, you know me, yeah. but I guarantee you there's others out there. that, And
2: that's why I do these so things. So get help, right? Yep, get help. Get help. You can. You don't have to be afraid. You can get help. Yeah, okay. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Hat Radio. It's the show that schmoozes. Do you like that? I love it. The show that schmoozes? We schmoozed. Yeah, thanks, because. Because, uh, <laughs> and God bless.
0: In an increasingly complex world, Greif Philanthropic Solutions is proud to sponsor Hat Radio and the one and only Avram Rosenzweig. No one is better than Avram at simplifying the art of communication, providing inspiration, and unifying people of all backgrounds. GPS is there to help you navigate the charity landscape. Avram is there to help you navigate life. You've been listening to Hat Radio with Avram Rosenzweig. Sponsored by Goodness and Positivity. Hat Radio, the show that schmoozes.
1: Step inside my living room Share a little talk Our roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you have been and what you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the hat Put it on